All right, welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest is no other than Kostin Rayu, head of uh, global research and analysis team, the great team at Kaspersky. Welcome to the show, Kostin. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Ryan? I'm very good. Listen, we got a lot to get to. I know I invited you on the show to talk about this expansion and explosion of news around NSO Group, Pegasus, Candiru, all these private sector offensive actors and mercenary uh, companies that are emerging to be like the support and the muscle to a lot of uh, nation state type malware activity. So let's start right there. We, we, we're really having this conversation a couple of, maybe a week after Google Project Zero, Ian Beer and Samuel Gross published uh, a, a breakdown of the forced entry exploit that was used by the NSO Pegasus Group. Uh, on the surface, there's a lot of like re- folks who are super impressed with the technical capability of the exploit uh, just based on the Google breakdown. But when I spoke to you, you said, you know, this these NSO guys are not a fly-by-night operation with like two guys in a basement working on these things. This is a company that has invested a lot in this over the years. Can you talk a little bit about what we know about NSO Group and 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 why weren't you surprised to see this level of technical sophistication in, in a mobile exploit? It's uh, it's funny that you say that they're not um, two guys in a basement. I mean, if you if you go to Israel and uh, you travel from Tel Aviv on the highway all the way um, up to uh, to Herzliya, you'll just uh, see the uh, NSA office, a very very large big office right next to uh, other big companies like uh, Oracle, Microsoft, Celebrite. So um, actually, so that, that's it's the, a very that's big the, enterprise. That's the technology center in Israel, which is kind of like the Silicon Valley with all the big companies, Oracle. Microsoft, Google. And you were saying NSO Group had a building there among them. It was just like this legitimate technology player in the, in, in the industry. Absolutely. Not only that, but um, several years ago, I um, uh, presented at the Blue Hat conference in uh, Tel Aviv and I spoke to a number of the guys there. A lot of them were busy with uh, uh, doing like pen testing exercises, captured the flag. Um, and we were chatting a bit about exploits, about uh, what are like the best uh, uh, people, um, you know, in the in the scene in Israel. And everybody was pretty much saying the same thing. I mean, if you if you are an exploit developer or pretty much in the offensive scene, uh, the best place to work is NSO. They're like paying the top money for for exploits, uh, NSO and Q Cyber. Uh, it was. In a way, if you want a very, very uh, respected company, a very respected place to work, or that was the impression that I was getting from everybody. So, uh, and that suggests to you that they had the pick of top talent in Israel, uh, uh, mm. top technical talent, top offensive security research, top vulnerability researchers. I, I want to get back to this specific exploit, right? Uh, because I just just reading it, it was kind of like never before seen this hacking roadmap that was a PDF file pretending to be a GIF image with custom coded virtual CPU. It just, it seems mind blowing to the outsider, but to you, because of what we know about NSO Group and the respect that it had there, it's no surprise that they have access to this level of talent to do this. Definitely no surprise in a way. Uh, it's kind of a confirmation, but uh, you also have to keep uh, something else in mind. Um, if you want um, to uh, target today's iPhones, today's latest version of iOS with a zero-click exploit, so there's like no interaction whatsoever. Explain then that. You, Expl- explain that for a second. Like a, a, a zero-click exploit is one of those things where the end user you don't see anything. 
you, you just basically you get hit and you get infected and you see nothing. You, there's like no link to click, no message, no, no suspicious uh, pop-up of any sorts. Everything is kind of invisible and the phone just gets infected just like that. And these are the, these are the, 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 the impossible to defend against God mode type malware that adversaries. I, I would put I would put things like in in two categories. There's the zero click, and then there's one plus clicks, right? And right. there's a huge huge difference between these two. But another thing, by the way, to keep in mind is that uh, uh, one click exploits can be turned into no interaction zero click uh, if the uh, attackers have uh, network access, I don't know, GSM operator access and so on. But nevertheless, there's a huge difference uh, in capabilities between having zero click exploits and uh, mm-hmm. those which require the user to click something. Because and- obviously you can defend against the... Uh, uh, things which you need to click. If you teach people not to click on things, they'll be safe. Right. Well, we've been trying to teach people not to click on things for 20 years, and we still have a, a ransomware epidemic. So, I mean, that that that's a, that's another conversation for another time. Here's the thing that 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 stuck out to me is that if NSO Group has these capabilities, we have to assume they're not the only smart people in the world. They're not the only technically capable, competent people in the world. And the notion of uh, someone investing in this type of God mode, zero click malware to get into a fully patched brand new iPhone is not, everyone is interested in doing this. Do you worry that there's a lot of other zero click malware circulating out there that's hitting intended targets, but we don't know about it? What level of visibility into this really stealthy world do you think we actually have as an industry? Um, I worry a lot. I worry a lot, but maybe I worry a lot because, you know, it's in my nature to to worry a lot about these things. And the things which are, from our point of view, the most worrisome are those that we do not see. And uh, I suspect, I kind of suspect, uh, it's difficult to judge because there is very little evidence. Although um, every year we get more and more of these stories, right? So we can kind of get a glimpse of uh, what's really happening. But if you kind of ask me what's what's uh, you know what's out there and how much we see i suspect that we see somewhere between maybe 10 and maybe 1% between 1 and 10% of what is actually out there for mobile phones and isn't it fascinating that our visibility is less than 10% and everything we know especially a lot of these high end things come from private sector research citizen lab amnesty international folks who've been you know these are the organizations that people reach out to when they suspect something has happened on their phone, activists in certain parts of the world and so on. Mm. As an industry, we are so reliant on Citizen Lab. And by the way, just let me throw it out there. Citizen Lab does not share samples or or, or like a lot of these samples are not being shared with the rest of the industry. So even... Even with the 10% that we have visibility on, we still don't have proper visibility. Absolutely. And, um, well, there, there's a couple of reasons there. I, I would, I would uh, maybe um, speak about uh, two sides uh, of this story. One of them is that maybe we're seeing more and more. And this is kind of a good change. Um, it's something that has been going on for a couple of years, right? That we are starting to see a bit more and more uh, of these stories about uh, mobile attacks, uh, zero clicks, uh, 2.5 million dollars uh, exploits. Uh, I think at some point they were even four million dollars. So that's, uh, I guess, that's uh, one we're of only the talk- things. And you're only talking here about the mobile side. We're not talking mm-hmm. about the APT side yeah. as well, where zero day usage has been mm-hmm. skyrocketing. And wait, yeah. wait a second, the discovery of these things have been skyrocketing, which suggests to me a couple of things. 
either the adversaries are a lot more active and a lot more indiscriminate in firing these things. So by volume, they're being caught. Mm -hmm. Two, they're making a lot of mistakes. Three, information sharing is kind of helping. And four, we as an industry using technology and skills like yours and your teams have gotten much better at ferreting out signals and, 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 and piecing signals together. It's possibly all of those coming together. But why do you think the visibility, especially in 2020 and 2021, was so, uh, a lot more, this activity was a lot mm -hmm. more visible to the public than before? Uh, I think you're right with all these different points. But uh, in my mind, the one that uh, has the most significant impact uh, is that people are more willing to talk about it, that people are now more willing to get in touch with the researchers and uh, spotting, you know, uh, something unusual is happening on the phone. And uh, what do you guys think about it? Can you take a look? So this is, I think, the fundamental change that we are seeing compared to a couple of years ago. Maybe there were uh, a lot of people getting targeted, but they didn't know what to do, um, right. whom to contact, whom to talk about. And even, let's say, in the case that they would get in touch with somebody, we would still lack the tools um, and the means to investigate these uh, incidents properly. So here, of course, as a big shout to uh, the mobile verification toolkit from Amnesty, that one is a kind of a, a kind of a game changer in my opinion. But also, keep in mind that now people are more willing, more open to talk about what's going on, and this is, I think, one of the fundamental changes. And not only to, to talk about what's going on, but to be able to spot signs of potential infection or suspicious, suspicious activity. And I think I think Google and Facebook and a lot of these folks issuing warnings to folks ahead of time give you a sense of awareness that, you know, when something starts to act a little wonky on my phone, that there might be something to look at there. A lot of that is changing, mm -hmm. which segue perfectly into the next point I want to talk to you about is right alongside this Google Project Zero and this NSO thing, Facebook partnered with uh, Citizen Lab on the other side with this exposing this surveillance for higher industry, which is another part of this private sector offensive actor world, mercenary world. And they identified a bunch of companies here, including one called Cytrox, which interestingly also has uh, a mobile malware. And in, in one case, there was, there, was a, there was one person who was infected with both the NSO group malware Pegasus and the Cytrox malware. And the guy found out because his phone was running hot, right? I mean, like that's, that's why you were talking about people identifying signs of these things on their phones and reporting it. Can you spend a little bit about this mobile verification toolkit and what are some of the initial signs? What are some mm -hmm. of the perfect red flags that pops up that can help somebody figure out like, you know what, I need to send this to Costin right. uh, uh, for some analysis. Um, there used, actually, there used to be a time couple of years ago when if your phone was running hot you basically you had zero capabilities to to see what's going on so yeah it's running hot you suspect it's infected but you can't do anything about it because uh, there's just uh, not enough tools and knowledge uh, in order uh, available to investigate it so um, the mvt the mobile verification toolkit changes that so it kind of changes the balance a bit in the favor of the defenders because uh, it allows uh, for someone to investigate signs of compromise to look at uh, some of the forensic artifacts which are logged by your phone uh, and just to check them for suspicious things an important uh, mention that i'll make here is um, while mvt is available both for ios and android is a lot more capable 
on iOS. So there's actually a lot more artifacts uh, being logged by iOS than uh, Android phones, which um, let's say it is more helpful if you want to see if you have been targeted maybe one year ago, two years ago, there might still be traces in the phone that you can find using MVT. Why are we relying on third-party hack to get a kind of toolkits and apps that kind of report some things but doesn't report some things? Why isn't it Apple's responsibility to give us some sort of toolkit or mechanism to flag suspicious things? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, um, I think that the, um, the main responsibility uh, lies within... Um, protecting the users, so that's creating more secure technologies to defend the users. When it comes to inspecting the phones, for sure, things could be better. But nevertheless, like I was saying, it's much easier to inspect uh, forensic artifacts yeah, on an iPhone than see, it is on Android I, I systems. I saw the Amnesty folks on the MVT talking about Apple already made a certain change to a certain thing that blocks uh, a reporting of certain artifacts. So even, even, then, mm. even then, the tools seem to be Mm. written by two guys in a basement no 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 knock on next i mean uh, my point is everything we rely on to spot these things are jury rigged tools that guys are you know putting together to help when by design apple blocks us from seeing those things do you expect to see apple changing its stance and opening up things a little bit to allow inspectability at some point down the road i hope so i mean uh, if if you ask around let's say that you go around and you ask uh, different people what do you want yeah like all uh, iphone users like myself uh, what do you need what do you need to ask to do better yeah, and everybody will say i need more capabilities to inspect what's happening on my phone. I want uh, the ability maybe to you know, SSH into my phone and see what's going on and to have um, more control, more information and more visibility telemetry from the phone that and you Apple's can... And stance is if I do that, I make the phone less secure. Um, I, I, I disagree. Allow me to disagree. I mean, uh, we can uh, agree to disagree if you want. But uh, I think that this can be done in a very uh, good way, in a secure manner, without compromising the integrity of the phone. Um, and for sure, Apple knows that. And actually, uh, you do know that Apple has a program in which they give these uh, jailbroken phones to security researchers. Um, I tried applying for, for one of them myself. Um, no luck so far. Uh, I think that they're probably in a very, very high demand. But uh, having this kind of things, this, this kind of phones, special phones for security researchers, I think this is a, a very good thing just need to to increase the scope do it for more people include more researchers in the program i want to shift gears a little bit to the android ecosystem as well because pegasus gets the the limelight but they also have an android version can you talk a little bit about what we know about the android version of the nso malware i, I think it's called chrysor do we have samples for this uh, so uh, Unlike the, we do, we do. Unlike the iOS version for which there are no uh, publicly known uh, samples, we actually have two generations of the Android well? uh, malware from NSO known as uh, Chris Hour. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. We just have the malware. So that's uh, without any kind of exploits, uh, without knowing how the malware would get installed on the phone. And of course, it, it could get installed in a variety of means through one clicks, uh, uh, by simply, you know, uh, USB connections and, and so on. Uh, but uh, we don't know for sure how it gets installed. Now, the malware itself, of course, it has all the capabilities you'd expect it to. It can uh, snoop on the microphone, uh, the audio, location, uh, camera, extract contact information, and so on. So pretty much all the kind of surveillance uh, features that you would expect from, uh, from such a thing. 
again, we don't have the iOS malware yet. And I think that what actually complicates the problem is a lot of uh, these things uh, are non-persistent. And again, um, I was uh, at a conference a couple of years ago speaking to, to a number of people, and I know that some of them for sure were um, in working in this industry. And uh, we were chatting about some new iOS changes. Apple actually um, implemented some new features in iOS uh, that allegedly made it uh, more difficult for the malware to survive reboots. So if you reboot your phone, um, the malware is gone if there is no persistence. And I was actually asking them, uh, how do you deal with these new security changes? And they were kind of laughing at me and saying that, you know, we don't need persistence. Actually, uh, none of our tools have any kind of persistence. And I was asking, how is it possible? What do you do if somebody reboots the phone? And they said, well, first of all, nobody reboots uh, their phones. And secondly, if they reboot their phone, we can just reinfect it through a zero click. So we'll just reinfect it over and over you know, again, forever, um, and they can't do anything about it. We'll just keep reinfecting the phone if, uh, in the very unlikely case... I want to play devil's advocate with you for a second because I get a, some slight pushback from certain, uh, certain folks who say, listen, uh, as a society, law enforcement, governments need these type of powerful tools to keep track on bad people. Mm -hmm. So we, we, can, we can agree that there are bad people in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, just for, for conversation's sake, we can agree to that. Of course. This NSO software is, is pretty expensive. It's, you know, millions, tens of millions of dollars, which means which means it's out of the hands of common criminals. Right. We can agree to that. Customers are governments, law enforcement agencies, yeah. tracking high end criminals, terrorists and so on. I want to play devil's advocate with you and go through like a category of a target for NSO group. And let's let's kind of talk through whether mm -hmm. you believe this mm -hmm. is a legitimate use case. Uh, whether as a society we should accept the use of malware in these use cases. Does that sure, sure. Um, actually, I, um, I have a friend, a very good friend of mine who used to work for a uh, law enforcement agency. Uh, this was uh, more than five years ago. Uh, he was uh, actually, we were chatting a bit about the uh, hacking team and uh, the scandal uh, around the hacking team uh, hacking, if you remember that incident. Uh, and we were talking a bit about uh, their budget. I was asking, like, uh, do you actually use this? Yeah, uh, he, he was working for a law enforcement agency. And he, uh, he actually uh, confessed to me that their budget to catch cyber criminals was $3,000. This was uh, the budget they got from their boss in order to purchase tools that would allow them to catch um, cyber criminals. And they already had the list of people they wanted to catch, right? They had the uh, carders, they had people like real crime. Uh, involved in all sorts of uh, scams, uh, eBay. Absolutely, it was all real crime. But the budget that uh, was available for this task was around $3,000. Definitely not millions, millions of dollars or even tens of millions of dollars, right? So uh, if you think about it, uh, the kind of criminals that you want to catch because the software is so expensive, you need to use it. And by the way, there's like a, a kind of a quota, right? You purchase it and you can target 25. Oh, that's that's how the pricing model works? Absolutely. And the pricing model is uh, per target. So you can target, um, you can pay, let's say, $1 million and you can target five phones. And you want to target uh, five more, you pay Again, maybe not one million dollars, but uh, you get the idea. It is a very, it is a very smart model. It is a very smart model. You have to agree with me that it's a very, very uh, profitable model, right? So when this happens, actually, 
you need to go after the really big criminals to justify all these millions, right? Uh, but the point here, and this is kind of the the reality, you know, the irony of things is that the really big criminals, they don't use iPhones. Uh, we've seen like all these other stories. Uh, like drug traffickers, human traffickers, guys involved in the level of high-end cr- sure, uh, uh, crime the ones. That, that could support, could potentially justify spending tens and millions of dollars to chase after them versus a police department with a, what, what did you say it was? $300,000 budget. $3,000 budget. Yeah, but there must be some justification for going after high-end big game drug, drug traffickers. The problem is those guys aren't using iPhones. Uh, absolutely. No, no. And look at these uh, recent stories that came out. One of them, FBI was running a fake secure phone network and the other one is the uh, uh, Belgian and Dutch police together. They hacked another one of these uh, secure phone networks. So actually, the really big criminals, they use these specialized uh, secure phones uh, with all sorts of features like the camera is disabled, the microphone is disabled. Um, it has like a special button that you can uh, erase it in, uh, in case you get uh, arrested or something. So then they don't use uh, stock phones for sure. They use uh, secure phones and all sorts of other devices. So in my opinion, it's not kind of just, you cannot justify purchasing uh, this very expensive suite if you want to go uh, after really big criminals. How about extremists, jihadists, guys who are legitimate uh, mm-hmm. counterintelligence targets for not only law enforcement, but national, I mean, mm-hmm. global security agencies. There must be justification there. For for years. I mean, this has been the, uh, the, top, the top argument, the top answer from NSO and other companies that uh, their software is only used to catch criminals and terrorists. Whenever, the, let's say, there was some kind of abuse, right? Uh, journalists would find an abuse or report about the abuse. The answer would always be, our software is only used to catch criminals and terrorists. However, if you, Ryan, go to, let's say, the most basic of all the jihadi forums, and there's actually there's such things on the internet, um, they're... Uh, kind of entry level for sure there's uh, no big things being discussed there there's just more like uh, uh, for the wannabe quite theological also i guess Uh, there's um, uh, kind of a science here which studies them which is called jihadology but anyways if you go to one of these forums the first recommendation you find like in the thread about uh, security is don't use iphones uh, everybody says like uh, use dumb phones uh, and actually uh, use devices without GPS or the ability to run uh, other applications. Uh, and uh, there was like um, recently there were a couple of cases of unfortunately uh, terrorism in Europe. And uh, all those guys, they weren't using iPhones. They were using these uh, so-called dumb phones, simple phones with battery. You know, the battery lasts for uh, two weeks. Uh, they would just text each other and use some kind of a coded language. So, uh, like, are we baking bread tonight? Or when is the uh, cookie ready? And this is, like, extremely difficult to to deal with because targeting these phones, again, um, is difficult. And, like I was saying, they're not using iPhones. So, again, uh, you can say, yeah, these are the top uh, targets for this suite. However... The real criminals, the top criminals out there, or the top terrorists out there, they don't just they don't use iPhones. Reporters, they're popping up as well among the target list and among the people who have been infected. 
I'm, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. I can imagine a use case where a government sees, uh, you know, some sensitive secret story appearing in, in, in print or in, in, in some media house and wanting to track the source of a leak, mm-hmm. track the source of some sort of, you know, high-end national security leak. They can justify in their mind, you know what, this is, a go- this is an objective that we need to accomplish. Is there, because uh, we're starting to see it popping up there. Do you believe there's any justification there? And, and like, how do you, how do you justify a budget to go after a journalist at the New York Times? Um, well, uh, of course, uh, like you're saying, journalists, media reporters, um, they don't fit the initial goal, right? Remember that the initial goal was to target uh, criminals and terrorists. Uh, but there's plenty of evidence this is happening. If you actually look at the, the large number of cases uh, that have been exposed this year, uh, from the Pegasus files, right? Uh, this um, uh, story that um, uh, made it into the news about 50,000 uh, phone numbers that were selected for mm-hmm. targeting. Um, pretty much everything that we have seen so far, they weren't terrorists, they weren't criminals. They were journalists, they were reporters, they were activists. Um, and I think... But again, that's only the ones we know about, right? Those are only the ones who came forward and said, hey, my phone might be running hot or, hey, I've, you know, I saw this WhatsApp link and I suspect something. So again, Fair you enough. have to assume that it's being more widely used than the few things that we have heard about. They're not, I think they're not just the ones that actually came up and, you know, uh, spoke about it, but um, also Forbidden Stories, which is the, uh, the, the entity which uh, broke the news, as together with their partners, they actually tried to identify those phone numbers. And uh, the right, ones right. they identified, they were like uh, politicians, they were like important people, heads of state even. Um, they were journalists, activists, and uh, at least uh, I have not heard about any criminals or terrorists that have been uh, uncovered or exposed so far. But I think, yeah, you're right. Uh, governments are for sure can be worried about this, uh, what the journalists write about, their sources, bad PR. And all of this, I think it can be very easily justified uh, by designating them extremists, foreign agents, enemies of the state. And then it all becomes right. uh, very easy to justify. There's another category that doesn't get discussed that I have to imagine, and I, I guess you have to have your hackles up around security researchers. Because security researchers have been a target for APT. We know about North Koreans. Mm-hmm. We know about Tuku uh, uh, which... You know, Kaspersky actually said, we, we believe that infection was tied to what the adversary wanted to know about what the great researchers were working on. Have there been targets there among like security researchers? One, and is that a legitimate use case uh, where, where a government may want to be able to have visibility into what a security researcher knows? Or... You know, track zero day creation and sac- track kind of malicious activity mm. among offensive security research folks. Um, I, I think security people, they are um, kind of the top threats for the governments engaging in shady operations. So for them, yeah, they are like the perfect uh, targeting case. These are the top threats. Why are they the top threats? Because they have the uh, kind of... Uh, unpredictable potential to compromise all their operations. Um, If you want, I mean, obviously budget not an issue here, but uh, uh, during the last years, we've seen plenty of cases where this was happening. I've seen both people on the defense side and people on the offense side. You're talking side about being, because of because of the because of the capabilities to disrupt operations, put out a research report that re- basically kills an exploit chain that that you have to go reinvest. I mean, resources is 
resources might be sure. on resources are not necessarily always unlimited, but you have to go re-engineer your exploit toolkit. And that's where mm. you see security researchers being like a real irritant in their sites. Um, yeah, again, uh, split them in two categories, those working on the defensive side, exposing these things, and then there's mm -hmm. those working on the offensive side, which can be a very attractive source of uh, free exploits, basically. And uh, I know people who were working like um, in the exploit uh, field and they got stopped in the airports and their laptops were confiscated. Uh, and of course, they are very upset about uh, this thing, especially when it happens in uh, developed countries. Uh, but the reason is simple. Governments are interested to get uh, their hands on um, cheap exploits. So both uh, defensive and offensive security researchers can be very good targets for uh, these kind of operations. Is it a safe bet to assume just from the outside that security researchers have been hit with things like Pegasus or Chrysler or one of these uh, um, things? Do we know? We we are actually we are aware of security researchers who have been targeting by Pegasus. We uh, we cannot disclose Targeting? Who. What does targeting mean? It means they were infected Compromised with Pegasus. They Their were phone infected. number was on the list? Um, not necessarily. We are not talking like theoretical things. The phone number was on the list. We are talking about the case when uh, phones, uh, iPhones belonging to security researchers were actually uh, infected with Pegasus. And we know that because of uh, all the forensic uh, traces. Uh, like I said, we cannot say who, but uh, you can assume there's some going to be some big research report coming out of some quarters around this. If 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 you're saying that we know that there've been security researchers who may have been infected, maybe maybe I mean it's not uh, it's not up to me. It's not uh, maybe up to to other people. But again, I think uh, what is important here and uh, something to keep in mind is the whole thing is out of control when criminals when terrorists are not the target because either it's expensive or because they use different kind of devices and then the only targets that you read about and see are security people journalists media reporters uh, or activists then something is wrong something is wrong about the industry and there is something wrong here about how this whole thing is being uh, approached handled morally if you want but also i mean operationally yeah and there's a there's another part of the conversation that doesn't happen at all is the role of venture capitalists and vcs and investors who are pouring a lot of money into these businesses you talked about the price for uh, pegasus for instance we know mm -hmm. that these things fetch big pricing i believe nso group was a was 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 not an offensive company in the beginning i believe it pivoted they pivoted and went zero day and exploit writing out of demands from venture capitalists. If I, I mean, I'm not fact-checking myself live here, but I'm pretty sure I read something like that. Can we talk a little bit about the role from like an ethics point of view about these investors and venture capitalists who are investing in this space because they see dollar signs? Yeah, uh, there's a good story here that um, uh, Julio put out, um, uh, the CEO of uh, NSO, I mean, put out um, a couple of months earlier. He actually, he was talking about the beginnings of the company and in the very early days, there were actually a, a, a solution that would allow people to remotely manage or check phones, right? So you'd get like a link and you click the link and uh, your operator, mobile operator can see what's wrong with your phone. And this would be, let's say, kind of useful for people who don't know how to use the phone or get stuck in something. The thing here is that they were trying to pitch this to investors and 
they were saying the investor venture capitalists they were saying you know it's it's nice but there's no money in this there's no there are no unicorns there. however there's uh, there's potential here and uh, this is like kind of what we were saying along the lines that we know people who'd be willing to pay for you to turn this into kind of a, a weaponized solution that they can use to target criminals and bad guys and the money you know that you can get from from doing that that's like a completely different uh, uh, level that we're talking about and well Investor and venture capitalists, they're all about money, right? They want to maximize profits. They want to sell as much as possible. And uh, there's a small uh, kind of risk here, right? That maybe you are selling to the wrong people or this will be used for the wrong reasons. Uh, this is something that should be managed. But again, the main goal is profit. So the idea here is how do we sell as much as possible while staying alive? So there's one possibility. The other possibility is um, we know that this will kind of burn in a couple of years. So let's try to sell as much as possible. And when we get burned, we get burned. We'll start from scratch or rebrand or... However, this whole idea, it kind of contradicts the ethical side of things. So when you say that we're not going to sell to that country because they are, uh, you know, they have a bad uh, history of uh, uh, torturing, yeah, torturing activists and so on. But again, that's against the idea of making a profit. So uh, I think that fundamentally uh, there's a conflict between uh, having uh, venture capitalists involved in the uh, development of uh, offensive tools. And if you look around, all these companies, right, they all, uh, you know, they are owned by some kind of a venture uh, capital or investment. Exactly, exactly. And I think that that's a huge conflict there, and it contradicts the uh, ethical side of things. These companies are not going away. And, we're, you know, NSO and Kandiru and the Israeli companies are on the front burner today. But these companies exist everywhere. I mean, there's a massive list that I know folks are tracking of these offensive actors all over Europe. A lot of them here in the United States, a lot of them in Latin America. We know that a lot of these folks exist and this business is not going away. And despite the conflict between profits and ethics, it's here to stay. Absolutely. We, how do we move forward where it's here to stay? We, we accept and establish that there are some legitimate use cases and there's just too much at stake here for it to completely disappear. What would an ideal, corruption-free, legitimate, cyber-offensive business look like? Do you believe there's a there's there's space for something like this to exist? I, I think even if there is no space, there is a need for that. Uh, and if you ask me how that would look, I would say it would be uh, unprofitable, independent, and okay, externally audited. In, wait a second. You can't say unprofitable, though. I mean, how do you how do you build an unprofitable business and attract the type of talent you need to make the type of tools that we see in Pegasus, these zero-click things, and be unprofitable? So there's a conflict there that doesn't make any sense. So then the problem is, like you say, the problem is on the other side, right? Well, we know that this is the solution. Unprofitable, so if you want not-for-profit, independent, again, and externally audited. So if the problem is a profit, right, then the issue is that uh, the market, 
largely unregulated. These huge prices, millions of dollars. So they're like, what is the fundamental problem? I think the fundamental problem remains uh, the zero days. Uh, the fact that people pay millions of dollars for these zero-click chains. If you take away the zero-click chains, then you end up with something that you can defend against that can still be used for legitimate reasons. But then again, um, people can at least defend against. Yeah, the thing is, when you see an offensive cybersecurity company owned by an investment fund or venture capital or one of these hedge funds, you automatically should know the top goal is profit. And they are never going to err on the side of being ethical or moral, right? So there's, there's already that inherent conflict there. They will sell to anyone and then try to find the arguments or legal loopholes to justify those right. sales. I don't know if it's because of the changing political climate, but it seems like they, there's there's some energy here in the U.S. around pushing back a little bit against some of these offensive actors. We saw uh, Apple and Facebook launching using the court system uh, and launching lawsuits. But we're also seeing companies being added to the entity list and there's talk of sanctions and there's talk of expanding that. Do you think there that's real momentum to help control or 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 at least have some visibility into what's happening there or or that it's a little too late or it's 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 a good enough start i it's never too late in my opinion it's always uh, it's always good to have discussions public discussion i think that this was uh, what everybody uh, was talking about from the very early beginning that needs to be more uh, discussions about how these things are um, uh, being implemented um, there's uh, of course the connected issue of um, uh, compromised encryption so again compromising encryption and governments uh, trying to justify that this is needed in order to fight uh, serious uh, criminals uh, terrorism and so on again as we have seen from these cases uh, like i was saying the fbi op against the secure phones um, you don't need to do that there's other ways of uh, fighting serious crime which do not require um, uh, this kind of technologies, uh, again, um, out of control things. And it right. can be done in an ethical manner where there is actually uh, some sort of uh, 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 legal oversight. I think this is what is uh, missing at the moment from this entire uh, story with NSO uh, and the other companies. I want to I want to end this first part of the podcast here with like a larger question around do you th do you view this as like a larger societal issue industry as a threat to democracy civilization as a whole or are we overblowing this is this just not another uh, another fancy thing that comes along that we'll get a grip on democracy yes civilization probably not so if you ask me if it's a it's a threat for sure this is a threat to democracy uh, because as we can see from all these examples, the main use case for these tools that we read about over and over and over again is targeting of politicians, of activists, of journalists, people who speak about the bad things. They are not necessarily bad guys, right? Uh, but they speak about bad things. And uh, the actors which leverage these uh, tools and they have huge budgets behind them, they go after the wrong targets 
So I think it's kind of up to us if you want to talk more about it, if you want to, to have more discussions, again, more oversight, uh, regulation, probably one of the words that needs to be uh, put forward. And there's good uh, steps in that direction. But if we just sit, you know, doing nothing, then the democracy that uh, we see nowadays uh, will probably cease to exist for our children and for their children's children. All right. I leave it there for part one of this podcast. Thank you very much, Kostin. Really, really appreciate the conversation. Uh, I hope that this is the beginning of a larger industry-wide conversation around efficacy and usefulness of these tools and where we can get to a point where perhaps an offensive uh, business can exist and, and coexist with civil society. I, I don't know how it, what it looks like eventually, but it, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, for sure. And if there's just maybe one question that you need to, to ask yourself, let's say that you are, you are a person who works in one of these companies and maybe you have uh, some moral doubts. Maybe you are, you are battling some demons. Are, are we doing the right thing here or not? Just ask yourself just one question. Are these tools actually solving the problem, be it criminals, terrorism, extremists? In my opinion, the answer to this question is uh, something that people need to consider more. And in my opinion, if you ask me, they're not solving the problem. So whatever needs to be done uh, is not happening. So again, if you're into working into one of these companies, uh, ask yourself, are you doing the right thing? Uh, but even more important, are these tools solving the problem? Thank you, Kostin. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. 